two talking tropes. When I was 10 years old, I had a box. It was filled with something. I don't know. It was a mystery. And, you know, mystery boxes, it's like everything. It's like birthdays, holidays. It's a mystery box. You don't know what you're going to get gonna get in your present. You know, it's Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. It's a mystery box. It's crazy. Everything. It's story. All mystery. Right. <laughs> Magic. Yeah, so I'm Hannah, um, and the mystery box over there is David. And today we're talking about mystery boxes, and specifically J.J. Abrams and his use of mystery boxes in writing. Uh, David, do, do you want to tell us what a mystery box actually is? What is a mystery box? A mystery box is a, a, a storytelling device. Uh, it was it was coined uh, as a term by J.J. Abrams in a TED Talk that he gave once, um, where he describes it as basically being all the intrigue of the story is in th- the mystery, uh, because that's where your imagination gets to take over for you. And so he compares it to, like, not showing the shark in Jaws or, you know, uh, just just having any mystery in your story is equivalent to, like, uh, having, this, having the story be the whatever the viewer's imagination wants it to be. Yeah, that's a pretty succinct... Uh definition i would say and and you could see how jj you know he does incorporate into a lot of his stories not all of them but you know you can definitely see examples of them throughout um and and jj abrams as like a figure um people describe him as multi-hyphenated but i'd say mainly we all know him as an executive producer wouldn't you agree yeah what do you mean by multi-hyphenated i don't think i've ever heard that before it just it just means he's a writer director producer etc oh okay got it got it the more you know kids um yeah no he he's a guy who likes coming up with broad story stroke ideas um yeah and getting together people and you know recognizing talent and discovering uh you know unseen talent yeah he's a a big fan of diversity and like drawing from a lot of unique sources and he likes revitalizing old properties with his own little twist yeah it's interesting because i feel like he's one of the few people who's like executive produced a book you know? Yeah, I don't know if that's a thing. Like, I mean, it is a little bit as as someone from inside the industry. Like, there are definitely people who, like, are ghostwriters or, you know, have an idea for a book and then farm out the actual process of writing to other people. But, like, like James Patterson does a lot of that. Sure. <laughs> um, but, I mean, even the idea of having a collaborative book where you know, one person's writing one aspect of it, and then you're writing in the margins. (laughs) That's pretty unique. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, um, God, I think in like 2011, 2012, something like that, J.J. Abrams released this book called S. (laughs) It was a book that... It has, like, all this stuff and, like, detritus, like, stuck in it and, uh, like, scribblings in the margins and it's a mystery of trying to solve this book and figure out, like, where it came from and is it reality or is it a metaphor or, like, what's going on and these two people have never met face-to-face only in the margins of this book and, like, it's, it's very engaging 
But the problem was I put it down at one point and then forgot about it for two months. And then I've just never <laughs> gone back and finished it. Because uh, yeah. it's a hard book to, like, re-jump into the middle of. You know, there's a lot right. going on. Yeah, I think it's sort of like watching a TV show where you dedicate a large portion of time to it. But if you, you know, stop, it's kind of hard to pick it back up. And I think that happened with a lot of people, especially with Lost. Um, do, do you want to talk about Lost first, or do you want to sort of put it in the mystery box for a little bit? Well, like, let, let's let's talk about the mystery box a little bit, because I feel like, even though I didn't finish it, this book at least definitely employs the mystery box technique, where it literally is a, it's, it's a book that literally comes in a box and has mysterious surprises within it. Like, I don't know if you can get right. more literal... <laughs> <laughs> well, you can because he actually released a physical mystery box as well with like that's true playing cards in it or something. <laughs> as far as if 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 you're not just releasing a literal box, this is pretty much as close as it as it gets. And you you know like it works. Like the idea of the mystery box is not. I don't think it's inherently flawed. You know. No, I mean, if anything, it's really more basic than people make it out to be. I mean, the idea of dramatic questions, especially in television, I mean, that's all television is, is dramatic questions. And when a dramatic question is about to be resolved, you usually cut away to a B or C plot. It's because you right. want to maintain that suspense as long as possible. That's why TV shows usually end on a cliffhanger. Seasons often end on cliffhangers. Uh, and uh, people have a lot of anger at series finales. <laughs> um, we're definitely seeing that recently. Yeah, tension. I I feel like mysteries create tension, um, and there's something driving us forward. And and even right. in shows uh, where it's it can be pretty episodic, there's this like larger question that remains unanswered that. Um, you know, like we'll get one answer, but then two new questions based on that answer, which is right, very, very. You never want to reduce the amount of tension or drama by answering a question too easily. Correct. Um, unless there's a much bigger question that you're much more interested in solving. Right. And so, I mean, I think in this book, you start to uncover like a conspiracy. A lot of these involve conspiracies and like conspiracy sure. plots. Um, it's very much, there's, there's someone else in control who has more information than you, who's really pulling the strings. Um, and, and I think that's a really, that's a part of S it's a part of fringe. It's a part of lost. Um, you know, like it's, it's part of alias. alias. Yeah. It, like it's a part of so many of, um, his works. It's, I don't know. It's just ubiquitous. Right. And I think, you know, what people usually criticize J.J. for, in particular with the way that he does mysteries, is they say things like, well, he doesn't even know where it's going. Which, first of all, I, I, I mean, I think that the philosophical implications of that are, are staggering. Like, so, like, as a writer, are you supposed to know every single thing that's going to happen in your story when you start writing it? Are you supposed to know how it ends? Or are you sort of discovering things along with your characters? And then, you know, the the sort of word of God aspect to it where the author 
is supposed to be the keeper of the secrets and, you know, has to be kind of, you know, sly with that and be like, oh, I know where it's going, but you don't. <laughs> like, you know, all of the all of the readers now and all the viewers now are coming up with fan theories constantly. And so it's only natural for writers to react to that and to adjust what they're doing based on the fan theories. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> like... I, I, I was with you up until you the fan theories stuff. Like, like, I totally agree that a writer, especially a TV writer, where, you know, you're not sure how many seasons you're going to have, like, how many episodes you're going to get. Like, I don't think you should necessarily know how the story is going to end. Um, like, I feel like a show that got into trouble by knowing how it was going to end, quote unquote, was like How I Met Your Mother. Um, right. where it like stuck to this ending that felt really out of place with like all of the character development that had been done in the past like nine, ten seasons, whatever it was. Right. So, you know, like I, I don't think it's wrong. Like in the like novel writing community, um, there's a term called plotting or pantsing where do you sit down and plot out your entire novel or do you write by the seat of your pants? And like, it's it's acknowledged that both are valid ways to write a story, you know? Um, right. And, like, that's why in TV, you're in a writer's room, usually, where it's not just you. There's other people there to bounce these ideas off of and to have input. Um, and so so it's a it's it's collaborative it's not just you sitting there going well i don't know what happens next it's you and a bunch of people trying to figure that out together right and yeah so the the question being like when 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 jj you know puts a little clue in the the mystery box book um does he know exactly where it's going to, to to resolve. Do you get that sense from from the book, or do you feel like that's more pantsing? I don't know. In in the book, I see. This is the thing. He's really good at making all of his clues seem like they all mean something, right? But then, and I don't know if this is because he rarely writes endings. Like that's something that we've uh, sort of discovered through this little... Um... Yeah, at least for his television uh, writing credits. I mean, he's an executive producer on all these, so he certainly has a hand in the later seasons uh, as well. Right. But as far as what he actually, you know, puts has his name on the credit. script for... Yeah. Right. For, what, for whatever, you know, value that has for you as a writer, um, he has never written a season... Uh, or a series finale, rather. Right. Um, for any of his shows, not Fringe, not Lost, not Alias, not Felicity even, <laughs> um, which is just seems strange to me. It's really interesting. Like usually season openers, mid-season finales and finales are usually there are writing credits to the either show creator or head writer. Um, Unless you're like Shonda Rhimes and like your job is just to create six shows at once. Um, <laughs> right, right. And, they, and they're meant to run, you know, in perpetuity. Right. Which, you know, that's a Shonda thing. But, uh, you know, JJ, his, all of his shows end, but they just don't end with him in a really hands-on role for the end. And they don't seem to end well. Um, I'm, okay. Like, I well, don't know. <laughs> Let's jump into it. Yeah, 
people people get pretty upset at the endings to a lot of his TV shows. But but what is it that creates that anger? That's what I'm interested in figuring out today. Is like where does the anger come from? I think it's because Where does the anger come from? Cuz here's the thing. When you have a mystery that's so open-ended that people can have limitless possibilities and they have time like so much time to come up with them like literal years to sit there and think about it (laughs) like they're gonna come up with some pretty crazy wild things that like maybe you've just like never even thought about or never considered like fan theories can be great sure so we're talking about fan theories so let's circle back to that that point why why do fan theories – why shouldn't they affect the writer or why should or shouldn't they? Here's the thing. I, I don't think writers necessarily need to be influenced by them whereas like, you know, I don't think a writer has to like by, – By need to be, do you mean like they they should be able to avoid it or like they they can or they can't just based on their own – proclivities i think as a creator it's entirely possible to avoid like fan theories about your work how, how do you avoid it if people are tweeting at you all you know day in and day out and they'll ask you about it at panels and they'll ask you you know in interviews that's true they're, they're constantly like feeding it in like just this giant loop and they get around it's and true they get clicks you know, so i guess you can't really avoid it um what like i want to I'm going to talk about Westworld really quickly, which okay. um, I don't believe JJ, does he have any? He's executive produced. He, he executive produced it. He doesn't have any writing credits on it. It was another JJ Abrams idea. Um, I mean, based off of <laughs> an old movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it was his idea either. He Somebody pitched it to him and he was like, brilliant. I'll get together some people. Okay. Okay. Um, um, but but it suffers from a lot of the same issues that his other shows suffer from. Um, which, which is interesting to me because maybe he's just bad at picking people to be on his team, you know, like maybe that's what the problem is. Or, or, you know, maybe writers write to what they know JJ likes, yeah. which I think is, is typically what a, what an executive producer is in terms of yeah. vision. Well, so um, like, especially when they're a name. I'll say this, like season one, there are a ton of mysteries that you don't have the answers to. Um, but the majority of them are answered at the end of season one. We sort of are caught up with everything. Um, but there was a really active subreddit during season one that sort of guessed the big twist that happened. Um, so, you know, there was a certain segment of the internet, of the fandom, that knew what the big season one Westworld twist was. So the writers going into season two were like, Huh, you guessed that one? Well, we'll make the season two twist impossible to guess. And so they just wrote incoherent, like, garbage that was, like, impossible to follow for a casual viewer just so that they could stymie, like, a hundred people in a subreddit, you know? Well, this is the criticism that is always lobbed at all of these shows. And I did not watch, I'm not caught up on Westworld season two. but It's not um, good. (laughs) Well, it's beside the point because I usually find myself disagreeing with these large groups of people saying, you know, they're just trying to subvert expectations or, you know, they they just got thrown off by the fan theories because I think really like when it, when you get down to the nitty gritty of the stories, they still follow a dramatic logic, but 
like being like unexpected requires adding in a lot of excess detail and they trust like jj abrams thing is also that he really trusts his audience a lot um he doesn't feel the need to spoon feed them stuff maybe too much so people are just confused you're saying like people are just baffled and they don't understand it maybe i mean here's the problem with season two is that like it was all told like out of order with multiple timelines and like there were like tiny right. like literally the tiniest of hints like what was going on when and like who was because you know like the whole thing with westworld was there like people robots androids that are yeah basically humans but like who's a robot and who's not and is there another version of the robot and are they actually in control of themselves or is someone in control of that you know like there's all these questions that seem to matter a lot in season one um like like season two has failings beyond just its sort of dramatic incoherence um but but it really was like a direct response like this I'm pretty sure the creators or the writers have like straight up said like we didn't want anyone to guess what was going to happen in season two, which is like. Right, but you do want to surprise your audience. I mean, it's just totally. no good to but deliver exactly what your audience is already. But expecting. here's the thing, like those 50 to 100 whatever people on that subreddit, like they might be your most invested fans, but they're not the majority of your fans. Like. Like, that's the thing with so many of these creators is that they think the loudest people are the speak for the majority. They're just the people who are the most dedicated. And, like, you should want those people to figure shit out. No, no, I don't know if that's even true. I don't know. Really? You you don't want people to figure shit out. You don't want, like, it's fine if some people figure out your shit. People figure out mysteries all the time. Like, some people read mysteries just to figure them out before the book ends. Some people are just really good at that, you know? Like, there's nothing wrong with writing a coherent enough mystery that someone is able to solve it. You know, like, there are still plenty of ways that you can surprise and delight your audience that don't come from having, like, a weird twist that they, sometimes it's really validating to have your like guess be correct. You know, like you get a thrill from that. Yeah. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with writing something that people guess, but I'm saying there's also nothing wrong with writing something unexpected. And in fact, there is an inherent value to writing something unexpected and subverting expectations provided that it fits with the, the narrative the logic of the drama and the logic of the characters. And so, sure, I, you know, but I, I think that's often where it goes astray, where they care more about the surprising drama than they do about those other factors. Well, do you want to, do you want to talk about uh, last Jedi? Did you watch last Jedi? I did watch last Jedi. We can talk about that. Let's, let's talk about last Jedi. Cause this movie had a hugely split reaction where critics like adored it and the fans or, you know, the loudest voices for my, you know, uh, as I'm going to characterize them, like talked about how it was completely disappointing. It ruined the, the canon. People started a petition to strike it from the canon entirely. Uh. Um, and you know, like people got so mad. Um, and you know, JJ Abrams, executive produced this one but he set up the mystery boxes in the first one Mm -hmm. uh, in force awakens 
So, so how do you feel about the the mysteries in that? Who is Snoke? Uh, what what are Ray's? You know, who are Ray's parents? Um, you know, who is the last Jedi, etc. Yeah, I I mean, so like, <laughs> the world is split on the last Jedi, and so am I. Like, there's a lot <laughs> in it that I liked, and there's a lot that I didn't like. I don't. Right, I'm talking specifically about these three major mystery boxes. Yeah. So, well, here's the thing. Like, I didn't really care about those going into this. You know, like I wasn't looking. One, I didn't think they would be answered in this movie. I figured they would be saved until the last one. You know, um, so I wasn't like even right. But they at least have to, to receive answered. development. So you, sure. you, you like the the mystery. Even if the mystery isn't solved, it usually progresses in some way by the the following movie in a trilogy. Sure, sure. Yeah, I I don't know. I so I mean it's been a hot second since I watched. So like. I forget Snoke's identity, but but Ray's parentage is just like they're nobodies, right? Like that's that's the right. spoiler. So what people got mad about was they were like, well, Snoke just ends up being Snoke. He didn't have, you know, he 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 wasn't somebody else disguised as Snoke, or he wasn't he didn't have a relationship with any of the other characters that we didn't know about. Right. Um, Ray's parents uh, ended up being smugglers with no real identity of their own, mm-hmm. and the Last Jedi ends up being uh, ends up being Ray, sort yeah. of, except for there are going to be other Jedi's as well. Yeah, a- and that was disturbing for a lot of fans um, for reasons that are kind of inexplicable to me, um, because I mean- <laughs> all three of these twists seem like. They create new narrative dimensions right. for the story. I mean, I I like them. I I mean, I think it's fine because to me, it deconstructs some of the Star Wars exactly. mythos. Yeah, the idea that somebody who's a Force user has to be from a special dynasty, right? Or that you know, like especially the the dynastic quality. I feel like is set up with the prequel movies even more so. Um, right. Where, you know, like, where it's he's all inevitable. Immaculately he... conceived <laughs> uh, magic force user man. And right. Then he passes it on to his kids. <laughs> well, and like, <laughs> he builds like C3PO and new R2D2. Like, like, you know, everything's got to connect and come back around and like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look at this, fans. Like, I've I've never particularly liked that sort of like fan pandering. Um, like it always just feels like kind of cringy to me, which is why I don't particularly like it in like things like Korra. Um, Korra sure. tends to do a lot of that for Avatar. Check out our Avatar The Last Korra going up by weekly. Yeah, they're great. Um, but like, yeah, so, so I don't know, like having them just sort of be their own person, I feel like deconstructs this like dynastic quality that Star Wars has. And I think that's important. Like, fascism comes from wherever. Heroes can come from wherever. Right. And likewise, I think, you know, Snoke turning out to be nobody, um, it subverts your expectation. 
yeah, fascism can come from can come from a, a different generation than you might think it does. It's not always the the spooky guy in the chair. Sometimes the systems in place can survive without that, you know, figurehead. Right. Um, and it just ends up being more dramatic that like even though they're setting up a potential redemption arc for uh for Kylo Ren, that it doesn't end up working out in this movie. Maybe yeah. it will in the next movie, but it's left up for grabs. And this, you know, this movie shed some doubt on that he will have a redemption arc which makes me think or should be redeemed right or should be redeemed and but that just makes me think that he will be redeemed that i'm just 100 percent certain that he will be redeemed in the <laughs> third think, one you think he's just walking a zuko uh path yep this is the zuko moment where he, he you know goes to be with his father instead but in this case he murders his father figure and then takes his place which is great I think that's I think that's really interesting and and new and different. I haven't really seen it before. He just likes killing dads. Yeah, well, don't we all? <laughs> Gotta kill our fathers. It's edible. Right, but I think where people really became familiar with J.J. Abrams initially was Lost. So do yeah. you want you want to jump into Lost or keep that mystery box going a little further? Uh, l- let's hold off on Lost and let's talk about Fringe. We're just gonna keep pushing bit. it, guys. This is the joke of the episode. <laughs> The joke is we're never going to actually talk about Lost. (laughs) Right. So instead of talking about Lost, we're going to talk about Felicity. Did you watch any Felicity? I didn't watch any Felicity. What is this one? Felicity was uh, was J.J. Abrams' first major project. It was was the first TV show that he was showrunner for. Um, And it was just about a girl going to college, having some some comedic you know, uh, situations and some dramas form. Um, and it was just... Is there a mystery just... box in this one? Very slightly. There is a, a character named Megan who has a, a mystery box that... She's like a goth girl. And so uh, she says that if Felicity or anyone opens it, they'll be cursed. Um, and then uh, you find out that what's inside are like dolls of all of her friends. So it's like a creepy uh, voodoo situation. <laughs> Super creepy. But they, they do they do hold off on that for for a good long while uh, as well. But yeah, Felicity, it, it's very different from his other projects. I don't know if you can really keep it in the same category as like his other like heavily uh, drama and mystery fueled stories. It's also not like a legacy story. It's not very nostalgic the way that like Super 8 is. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of a weird outlier. Um, but it does lead pretty nicely into Alias because that was pitched as um, what if Felicity was a spy thriller? Love that. <laughs> it, it, some Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because this, you know, very authoritative female spy is oftentimes depicted just as sort of like a relatable college girl. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I don't know. Did, did, how, how much of uh, Alias did you check out? I only watched the like first two episodes. Um, yeah, so it, it's that one. You know, it also sets up some some mysteries, um, but uh, but largely it's just about the the conspiracy element of these secret spies working you know, in plain sight kind of right, thing. Right. Which like, that's, that's compelling. People love spy shit, you know, like the Americans is still going, keeps winning shit or something. Right. I don't even exactly. know. Well, I don't know if it's still going, but it's <laughs> definitely won a lot of awards. It definitely did a lot of stuff. Um, w- would you characterize alias as like nostalgic at all? Or is it? Um, no, I don't think it's that nostalgic. It's more just, 
Um, that this is like more of his streak of trying to like write empowering, strong female character ladies, but they end up just like taking their clothes off a lot. <laughs> Classic. Like in the in the pilot, you saw like they go in the shower for the dramatic oh, God, yes. secret reveal scene, Got and it. then there was an episode that I saw. It was like one of the last episodes that he wrote for that show, um, where you know she's like seducing the guy and like puts on like a silly wig and has a weird fake accent, oh, and she's like, gosh. "Oh my God, <laughs> I the forgot sexiest, my pants." The sexiest of accents, <laughs> the German. I think it was Russian actually, oh, but I don't God. remember. Uh, but I didn't do the, I wasn't doing her accent. I was just doing that. She does a silly accent. Love it. Maybe she was trying to do like Swedish. Swedish, For some reason people think Swedes are sexy. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? They're too blonde. Um, too blonde. All right. So, you know, there's some mystery box elements and alias. Yeah. There is literally a two part episode called the box. Um, but, you know, the main thing is that Alias did not bill itself as big meta narrative, high concept, whatever. It's basically a procedural. Right. So, it, you know, much in the same way that Felicity did not invite that kind of ire because it was just sort of a, you know, uh, a college comedy drama. Uh, and then Alias is just sort of a a procedural spy thriller. So it didn't really require any of that. Uh, mystery box bullshit. <laughs> right. But then there was Lost. And I think we do have to talk about Lost now. Well, let's talk about Fringe first. So Fringe is, I think, one of the first, like, J.J. Abrams things that I actually ever watched. Like, I watched this as, like, a oh, yeah. teenager. And, like, holy shit, I was fucking hooked when I started watching this back in yeah because it was like sci it was like a sci-fi procedural it was sci-fi procedural it had great characters it was interesting them and like the mysteries were really engaging and like this is the first time you know that i get the true jj abrams <laughs> formula it feels like where you know right answer one question ask three more you know like you would always solve the mystery of the episode but it would reveal just a little bit more information about the the larger conspiracy at play that was exactly. very sci-fi and you I feel know. like season one was pretty episodic, right? But then it ended up being more Yeah, there there were a couple of um season arcs. Season arcs, I would say. Um, but for the most part it was there there are a lot of especially towards the end of the season, a lot of kind of just like one offs where they're just dealing with some various strange sci fi mystery FBI shit. Um and then and then I would even say for, like, large parts of season two, it's pretty similar. But then in season three, we get, like, this weird... It's either season three or season four, we get, like, a weird retcon. And then eventually, like, we're in an alternate timeline entirely. And, like... He loves timelines. He likes the he likes the timelines. He does. He likes timelines and retcons. Um Star Wars. Well, Star Trek, really. Uh, not Star Wars. Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, he's because it's God, the, that 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 more ties into like the nostalgia of it because he wanted it to not interfere with the canon of the original show while still paying tribute to it in every conceivable way. So he was like, right. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> There's also a nice moment. Um, speaking of just like callbacks that he likes to put into his shows um in fringe there's a moment where sort of like the the chief of the division 
um, that investigates all this paranormal shit uh, has to go in before Congress and they're like, we already shut down the X project (laughs) or like, like basically, yeah, it is like, it's supposed, he says it in a way where it's like, you could, it's, it's the X-Files. It's the X-Files. Like, like it's just straight up claiming like, this is fringe. It's the fucking spiritual successor to the X-Files, which I mean, the opening. Which in some ways, yeah. Which in some ways, yeah. Um, and the, and like, talk about a show with like a mystery that doesn't really get solved, you know? But that was always just the point was that it was playing off of like conspiracy theories. Right. I think mythically, like the reason why conspiracy theories are such a big part of this is because conspiracy theories are the mysteries that people's brains make when they're completely unoccupied, you know? We just start seeing connections between large events and seeing ourselves as the center of some grand narrative uh, of society. Yeah. So that's where conspiracy theories come from. It's just our inactive brains just making up stories to entertain itself. Well, and I feel like that's a little bit how he does his mystery boxes. Exactly. You know, as he takes a bunch of like unconnected disparate things. elements and tries to see how the brain makes connections yeah right right and and like i don't know i feel like have you read anything about like how he reacts to like fan theories or or any of that um it uh, seems like he just sort of like tries he, to ignore them for the most part yeah um like he does have he claims that he he, he always has an idea of where the the, the story is going um, and I think that's true. I, I definitely got that impression with Lost. Um, but uh, there's certainly a lot of things that seem to come out of nowhere or seem to get dropped uh, just in the, you know, that's the nature of television writing because you're writing with a bunch of writers who don't all get to direct the story. But, but I feel like that's even more so the job of a producer or a showrunner than to sort Is of... Is to make sure every single detail comes back in the finale? I don't no. Know. No, 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 no. But it doesn't need to come back in the finale. I Again, this is why I'm saying, like, the longer you go, the more in danger I think you are of falling into a disappointment trap. Um, but, like, I-, I feel like that should be someone on the production's job is to make sure that all of these things, that there is connection, that there is a flowing arc, that, like, everything's generally trending in the right direction whether or not you know where that direction ends up you, like you should you want it to be consistent you know right. well i mean was there an example in fringe where you felt that wasn't the case well i mean it's hard because there's like a whole fucking retcon season where everything we know about these characters is basically like thrown out the window sure which just feels like such a betrayal but we can talk about retcons at different time Okay, so um, in Fringe, there's these uh, bald, besuited men called the Observers. Yeah. Um, and at the first baldies. we think there's only one, and then we find out there's more than one of them. And, you know, we're not sure if they're the good guys, if they're the bad guys, what they know, what they don't know, like, what they're trying to do, what their purpose is. And then we find out that, like, they've basically been trying to ensure the world ends up in, like, this weird dystopia where they're the ruling class Uh at the end of it. Um, But, like, there's a whole bunch of shit that, like, this character says earlier in earlier seasons that, like, don't really match up with, like, that ending. Yeah, did you write down any of them? Like, you... I didn't, but like, y- go back and watch it. Right. <laughs> like, like, there's just definitely some moments where this 
these things. Like, cause, cause you know, it's vague. They say vague things that could be taken in kind of any direction. Sure. But like, there are certain things where at a certain point you're like, I don't feel like apocalyptic yeah. genocide was really the direction this was going. You know? It's possible that these things don't hold up as much on rewatch, but just due to the nature of like, yeah, you forget about certain time. details or certain details get resolved and then you move on uh, because there's more pressing matters at hand. You know, it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't all need to tie together. And that's something, um, and, I, and I'm finally, we're finally going to do it. Let's finally get into Lost. Can we get into Lost? All right, let's. Let's talk about Lost. So, full disclosure, neither of us had watched a single episode of Lost before this episode. Right, so all so. I had was, like, the cultural milieu of, like, what Lost is and, you know, understanding that it's this religious allegory on an island with sci-fi elements and there's a mystery and it didn't resolve well, according to the fans. Um, but I, I watched, you know... Uh, Almost all of the the first season and the finale and a lot of episodes sort of interspersed in between to sort of get a a sense of the grand scope of the story. And I read a lot of Wikipedia articles to fill in the rest of the gaps. I think I think that the ending makes a lot of sense. Uh, Did did you watch the, the finale? I watched the finale, but I also only watched three episodes before that. Hmm. So there's a lot of stuff in between. It was. There was a lot of stuff in between that I feel like I missed, so I can't super speak to it. But, yeah, it's, like, very clear that it's, like, a religious allegory, like, from the beginning. Right. You know? But what what makes it interesting, this whole thing, is that... There's all of these red herrings and false leads, like, in in between that make you think that, well, wait, maybe there's, like, a scientific explanation for everything. Or, wait, maybe they're all dead the entire time. Or, wait, maybe, um, you know, this is all, like, someone's dream or in someone's head or it's a potential timeline. It's elsewhere. Yeah, maybe this is Langoliers and we're in the in-between times. We're in between one second and the next or something. Like, right, you, you just right. never know exactly what's going on. Um, but, like, when it all boils down, the fact is a lot of the things that happened were probably, like, hallucinations. A lot of the things that happened okay. were probably because of, uh, you, you know, this company going to the island to experiment on its electromagnetic properties um a lot of the stuff is just like people acting the way that people do and you just don't know their motivations until closer to the end of the movie or or of the show and then all in all it's all based on you know there's a there is a supernatural religious element which is that the island contains an unstoppable evil that threatens to destroy mankind and the per, the protector of the island is like an immortal figure who just tries to come up with contrived ways of keeping that evil trapped on the island and that's the story it's pretty mythic it's fucking mythic man and that's why i like it um, I like the mythic but shit. But I think it's it's all the in-between shit. Like, like, this is where I think a lot of the fan outrage comes from, is, is this, like... And, and I think it's where, like, my frustrations with, like, Fringe come from. Um, where it's, like, there's all this character investment, and then you find out that everything we just experienced with them, like, wasn't real, or, like, doesn't actually matter. But that's the thing, is all of it was real. <laughs> 
that's the real meaning of the finale is so it, it, for those of you who don't know in the last season of the show uh there's this massive event where they split the timeline by like blowing up this thing with like a nuclear bomb and it splits the timeline so that in one version of reality it seems like they never crashed uh on the island at all and in another version they're just still stuck there um and have to like figure it out um but what it ends up being is that the split timeline is actually not happening concurrently with them. It's actually like the afterlife. But there's also still real life on the island. So everyone who was theorizing that the island was like all a dream or that the island was purgatory or something, they actually got it backwards. It turned out real life was purgatory the whole time. <laughs> Um, gotcha. Which I think is hilarious and great and a great subversion of expectations. Um, but yeah, everybody who dies on the island really dies on the island. Everybody who, um, you know, lives on the island and gains immortal superpowers really is there. All the polar bears were real. The smoke monster, real. Like, there was nothing about it that wasn't real. I think what people were actually hoping for was to find out that it was all fake or something. And that's that was their frustration was they found out that, oh, the explanation for a lot of these things was just that it was, uh, you know, all a plan by a mythic godlike figure. Maybe that's just disappointing. I don't. Why is that disappointing, though? I, you know, like this is the thing is like I'm not like people. <laughs> so I have weird <laughs> opinions about these things. <laughs> um. So I, I, I really like stories where there's this, you know element of historicity to the to all the events where it, it all dates back to this one single choice that was made in the past there's this character jason who is the uh or jacob sorry jacob who is the the god yeah. of the island and then his brother the man in the black shirt literally doesn't get a name because he's just bad jacob <laughs> um <laughs> and and like everything dates back to this one event where this woman played by allison janney of all people um murders murders these twins uh mother and and raises them as her own children um because she hates outsiders people who didn't uh already live on the island um and then spends the entire time trying to convince her children that the uh, the outsiders are evil. And so all the like plot elements are because Jacob is trying to bring outsiders to the island to sort of try and figure out if they Proof. can truly be good without his help. And so that's all the test. test. Yeah. So maybe people don't like that it's all a test. I don't know. But like the whole story, it's just um, – you know, it's a, a treatise on human behavior. <laughs> Definitely. I, I I mean, I think just going back to, like, people's frustrations and, like, disappointments with shows like this is that just, like, the longer they go on and the more plot elements there are to sort of juggle around, the more theories that people are going to throw out there. And, like, I don't know. It, like, the the larger it becomes harder and harder to wrap everything up in a satisfying manner or maybe in a manner that's satisfying to everyone, you know, like there are going to be some people. Right. But like, I think that's really the problem is people just need to chill. I mean, I know that's like a, like well, a bad yeah. critical take, but like, 
I just don't understand what people are mad about. You know, you know that it's not going to wrap up in exactly the way that you envisioned it. I mean, if I was writing um, Star Wars The Last Jedi, I would have had Rey join up with Kylo Ren and they rule the galaxy as uh, boyfriend and girlfriend. But that's... (laughs) That's me. That's and my that's aesthetic. Fiction. Yeah. But that's why we have fan fiction. Like, I don't understand. Like, how can you be mad at canon? It's fucking canon. It just is what well, it is. Because, I mean, because you're allowed to you're allowed to have emotional reactions to things, you know, like you're you're allowed to be disappointed. Oh, and you and you absolutely should. But why would you have emotional reactions to the writing? Like, because all of these takes. Because it, it's. It's not satisfying. You feel unsatisfied and you don't know why. And so you try to figure it out by ranting on the internet for 10 hours. But it's just, it always seems like at the core of it is all these people are, are, are becoming aware that like they're, they're being shockingly revealed to them that these are written by people. And they assumed that they were written by the cosmic the cosmic majesty of space or something, you know, by, by some invisible canon writer. Well, cause I, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. I feel like that's how people feel about a lot of fictional works. Like, you know, they, like they think about Shakespeare and they don't really think about a guy sitting there writing these works, you know, they're like, it's Shakespeare, like dictated to him by God. And like, <laughs> you know, like they have these heroic and uh, like Villainous. all-consuming, yeah, yeah. They have these mythic figures of writers and creators, and you know, sit down and ask any writer, and they'll say, "God, you should have seen my first draft. <laughs> like it looked nothing like this. Like there's a reason people revise." And I feel like in television, it's harder. To like, you get fewer chances to do that potentially than if you're sitting and writing a novel. I just, my brain, right. My brain always goes back to, and maybe this is a dumb place to go back to because it is so niche. And a lot of people would not call this great writing, but Teen Titans, right? Slade. Everybody remembers the Slade arc because he had a mask and people just kept saying, Who is Slade? Who are you, Slade? And he was just a guy in a mask. And every time you would take the mask off of him, it would turn out he's either a robot or a skeleton. So, like, like, it wasn't good writing, but it was just a mystery. And it kept you invested. And I feel like that's what J.J. does all the time. Why is there a polar bear there? Why is there a polar bear? (laughs) Oh, it's totally what he does. It's totally what he does. But, you know, like, Teen Titans seasons were not as long as, like, Lost seasons. Sure, <laughs> yeah, it's not as much literal s- screen time. But, like, yeah. the point is, you can drag out that mystery pretty much forever without having to add to it at all. Because the answer to the question, who is Slade, is that his name is Slade and his last name is Wilson. Like... <laughs> It's not a mystery. It's not a real mystery, but it just right. is a mystery because you say it is one. Um, you know, it's a mystery right. why there's a polar bear there. Well, it turns out they just had polar bears there because they yeah. needed them for experiments. I, I mean, it's a sort of thing where I think that 
if you have a mystery like that, it's fine not to have a conclusion, but I think you need to just commit to not having a conclusion to it, you know? Is that what like, it is? You have to just forget. But there's but people want a resolution of some kind. I mean, you can give people a resolution without answering a question, I think, you know? Where it's like, you know... So, like, what would the resolution be to who who Ray's parents are if you don't tell us they were nobodies? Like, that's a resolution. Oh, no, I agree. I, I think that is a resolution. I like that. Okay, I, so what like, do you do think... about polar bears? <laughs> How do you end the polar bear saga? <laughs> well, like, like uh, here's an example of a non-resolution. The end of Inception, you know, which people fight about all the fucking time. Is like, is he still in the dream? Is he not? It's left ambiguous, you know? And, and I think that's fine. Like, that's part of what I enjoy about that movie is that it's left ambiguous. And yeah, you can go back and troll through the movie 80,000 times looking for the clues that tell you if they're still in the dream or not or whatever. But, like, it's not about that. Right. And it's the same with, um, with the end of Lost where you know that everyone in – like who landed in LAX at the end is uh, dead. You know that they're all dead, but you don't know when each person individually died. So like, for example, like Hurley, we know survives long after everybody else because he becomes the new Jacob. Um, And uh, Jack dies in the light room where there's light, the light room. You remember there was light there. The light room. Yeah, so, like, everyone's dying at different times, and they are all passing on together, and, like, you know, Christian Shepherd, maybe the reason people just got turned off by Lost was just the names, Christian Shepherd, John Locke, one guy's name is Sawyer, and he's a con man, you know, Tom, Mm -hmm. Tom Sawyer. Like it's, yeah, with a southern accent. It's not so. It's not subtle. It's not complicated. That's the thing. It's like nothing about Lost is subtle, and so people were like, "But maybe it secretly is," and then it wasn't, and they were mad about it. But why would it? But be? like exactly. Like when the answer to what is the smoke monster is that it's a smoke monster. It's evil, and it's trying to kill you. Like why is that not a satisfying answer for people? Because people drove themselves into a tizzy and came up with like thirty thousand different things that it could be. And then when it's the obvious thing, they're like, they they feel stupid. That's what it is. It's people just feel stupid. Right. So I just feel like telling them, well, yes, correct. You are stupid and I hate you. <laughs> well, no, it's not that you're not stupid. Like, I hate fans. <laughs> I hate fans. I don't think they're stupid. I think, but, but I think they have to realize that it's okay to just have a simple explanation for things like not everything needs to be the fucking da vinci code but even the da vinci code is pretty fucking obvious to a lot of people you know like i was surprised but i'm not great with mysteries like you know i I really liked um gravity falls which was a mystery show for for little kids and everybody on the internet guessed the ending to that one yeah that one had a little mystery box but it was still satisfying. So I guess you don't have to surprise. But there was like they left clues because they wanted the audience to solve it. Um, whereas exactly. I guess in Lost, they didn't really want people to solve it. Right. They just wanted people to keep but, watching. And, and I think that's the same thing with like Westworld. And, you know, it's a little bit the same thing with Fringe, though. Again, that had answers. It was just alternate timeline bizarre character crap well we know that jj abrams is writing the next star wars and that one is going to have an ending 
So his first ending, guys. Not his very first. Sort of. I mean, he's written endings no. to movies before that did not yeah. get sequels. But uh, <laughs> I mean, this is an ending to a trilogy with millions of dollars behind it. And uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what he does with it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm ready for it. We'll see. And I'm just gonna be I'm gonna just gonna be over here saying I like mystery boxes. I want them to continue. I think it's not always important what the answer to a given uh, dramatic question is. Dramatic questions are there to keep your attention. They're not there to answer the question. Sure, I I think they're there. I think if you're looking to write a satisfying conclusion don't necessarily focus on like all of (laughs) the clues and such that like you've left like yes incorporate them into whatever the fuck your answer is but like you don't have to don't stress about it just like like worry about the characters like that's what people are like really focused on you know well you say that but none of these complaints have been about character consistency right they've all been like well, wait, what, the smoke monster was just, like, a random monster? Well, wait, wait, so it was all just, like, God wanted it to happen? That's, like, a boring explanation for the factual things that happened. No one's talking about character development. No one's talking about character consistency. That's true. They're they're not really talking about that um, in regards to J.J. Uh, Abrams. So I think the fact is just that we, as writers, value things differently than the fans do because fans just care about plot and like literal plot details and you know like whatever it would be the most logical thing to happen is 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 always what has uh-huh. to happen instead of just what's the most interesting what's the most you know yeah. shocking and and fascinating and satisfying i was i was at an author talk um recently and <laughs> The author writes um like middle grade novels, so like stuff for kids like age like nine to twelve. Um, and he was saying, you know, like I've written over like like thirty five hundred pages of this book, like of this series. Like it's there. I've written a lot of shit. Like I don't really remember all of it, but like I'll talk to these middle schoolers like when I go on school visits, and like they'll know every fucking detail you know and like to me the adults who are on like the game of thrones subreddit and like you know like nitpicking star wars movies like there are those people but they didn't grow up and like (laughs) have other interests it's still just like memorizing details from fiction which like that's fine but you also have to understand that like the people who write that, like, you know more than them. You're right. Like, you win. You're, quote, unquote, more prepared than these people sometimes. Right. But you, go write but fan fiction. But it might fiction. not be a plot Right. Hole. Go write some fucking yeah. fan fiction, because they've got more important shit to deal with than, like, your annoying opinion. <laughs> like, you know. Right. I agree. Go write something yourself. If you want, if you really care about the world, write fan fiction. If you really care about storytelling and logical consistency or whatever your thing is, write your totally. own story. But don't don't write petitions that J.J. Abrams be oh stricken God. from the history books. Yeah, I don't I don't agree yeah. with this. It needs to well, stop. And it's, it's also it's just it is a little bit. It's very entitled, you know. 
just like it's so entitled i didn't like this you think you're a better writer than these fucking people you don't know she are a better writer but like you don't get to do like you have to go prove that before you get to remake season eight of game of thrones you know you don't get to just write a petition all right, I, I feel like we've we've dived into mystery yeah. boxes and JJ. Please, guys, talk to us. Uh, you know, we've only briefly touched on the, the Game of Thrones thing. Hannah and I have a lot of disagreements yeah. about the Game of Thrones thing. So, if you want to see us talk about Game of Thrones season eight, uh, you know, Let us give us know. a give us a little tweet at us at Talking Tropes or or comment on Facebook. Um, if you want to see us do a deeper dive on any of these shows, definitely let us know. Uh, yeah, you can you can also support us on Patreon. Um, and if you do, you get to pick an episode topic. Um, so Ooh. exciting! I never know how to end. This. <laughs> but neither does JJ hey! Abrams. <laughs> see you next week. Uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye.